Welcome to the Femsplainers. I'm Christina Hoff Summers. And I'm Danielle Crittenden. Well, today we're going to talk again about love and marriage because A, that's a topic that never gets old. I don't think it's any less confusing from when we first talked about it. More confusing than ever. <laughs> I know. We're trying, we're trying to solve the riddle of modern courtship, a modern marriage, helping out millennials in dating when we can. But this time we found, like Christina, you and I were always saying, you know, it really helps if you meet someone young. Like if you're lucky enough to find someone who you feel is your soulmate or you're in love with when you're younger, it just makes we feel so many things much easier. Over the summer, we got an email from a millennial woman listener, Eva from Santa Rosa, California. Hi, Eva. And she said, I recently listened to How Do You Know He or She is the One episode and listened to you talk about the value of marrying young and how you can grow with someone else during marriage. She said, I myself am 26 years old, and growing up, I thought I would find someone, get married, have kids, blah, blah, blah. Until one day I asked myself, why am I doing what I am doing? Why should I get married? Why should I have children? The answer ended up being, because that is what everyone else is doing. And yet, I don't feel the need to prove to my boyfriend how much I love or dedicate myself to in front of anybody, because our relationship is about him and I, me. <laughs> I tell him I love him and specific qualities I enjoy on a monthly basis. I don't feel the need to have him promise to commit himself to me forever and sign a legal document. So this is really, Eva, you're just saying marriage is a piece of paper, which one hears a lot. Yeah. Uh, like a treaty or a mortgage. I would be sorry if my daughter were saying what Eva's saying, and <laughs> I would try to persuade what? her. But why? Why, why, why? why is it not just a piece of paper? Well, all the evidence we have suggests that when you have that document, it lasts longer than shacking up with someone. And she suggests that it's just kind of a custom, to, a socially imposed custom to have children. No, it's a human need. I mean, there are exceptions, but overall, for most of us, that's where you find the most meaning and you find a kind of love you haven't experienced before of someone totally dependent on you. I think it also puts you in a place in society. You're part of the future in these children. But she would say, well, you can do that without the piece of paper, to which I'd say, I'm going to defend the romanticism of the legal document. You're willing to sign a lease with this guy, presumably. That holds you to certain commitments. Countries do sign treaties together. It's binding. That by taking that one step further of signing this piece of paper, you are making a much more serious commitment to each other. You can't just, you're not just going to break up lightly or leave this union lightly. You are committing to a partnership, and that's going to involve property and eventually children. And it's no longer simply about your love and my love. That's a lovely romantic notion, but the piece of paper makes it so much larger than that and so much more important, which is, I guess, what you're saying. It's symbolic of this incredible... Symbolic of just living your partnership life at a deeper level with deeper connections and commitments and announcing to the world that you're doing this. And it's just part of, a, I think, a flourishing civic society that most people are doing that. And I think that if we accustom ourselves to single motherhood, I mean, of course, we have to be kind to people that are in that situation, but it's dysfunctional if we make that the norm or if we make, you know, childless marriages. I mean, where is that going to lead? I would agree with Eva if 
It's a childless marriage. These really are done unions. The piece of paper largely is for children and their protection and the partners down the line. I mean, maybe you could say, yeah, if we're not going to have children, we just want to hang out together. It is a piece of paper. There are but a lot of people that don't want to have children now, and I wish they would spend some time with the femsplainers. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're going to get them in the chair, ply them with booze, and, booze and tell them what's them. what. <laughs> and especially, it's, I think they maybe see people with bulky two-year-olds and think, I never want that. I don't want to have yeah. It lasts a minute. Bulky two-year-old is soon in high school. And hey, and then they become cool people you hang out with, yeah. which is and what I've been fun. doing all so summer. fun, especially... As an adult, you're adult children. But the whole thing, it's not just a matter of fun. It's not just a matter of that there's sort of utilitarian reasons. I think that it's more complex than that. I think that it's just psychically lends meaning and depth and connection. Mm -hmm. It's hard to get. Not impossible. I know people that live wonderful lives, but I think that their lives would be even better if there were a few kids along. When it's possible. Agreed. My intern, Isaac. He's 22 and he's engaged. We'll have to talk to him later. Yes, Isaac is here and he's recording this, but he doesn't know that we're going to ambush him yeah. and ask him. He's looking nervous. <laughs> <laughs> about Why did he get engaged at 22? But we'll come back to you, Isaac, so you can mansplain. But we talk about that because, of course, if you want to have children and you're a woman, even with all the technology today, it's a lot easier. It kind of, not to put it harshly, but it gets that kind of out of the way when you're young, having children out of the way when you're young and energetic and allows you to focus later on a career. And if you find out you like it, you can have several. Yes, right. You're not sort of down to that one wonder test tube, baby. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I've, I've been reading someone, her name is Vicki Larson, and she wrote a book called The New I Do, Reshaping Marriage for Skeptics, Realists, and Rebels. This came out I think in 2014, but she has a lot of writing on this topic. And she's decided that traditional marriage, such as it is, doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It's like trying to put on a vintage dress from the 1950s, and it just doesn't fit, and it doesn't suit modern lifestyles. I think it still works for kids, though, having the same parents married. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No, no, of course. Sorry, it's like, kids getting married? No, what are you talking no, about? No, <laughs> I'm just wondering about, I just have to be persuaded that there are better models for children. But well, she agrees. She agrees that it is important for children. But she's also, I think, and we'll obviously we'll ask her about this, I think she's more open to the idea that kids can have different models of parenting. So we'll, we'll talk to her about that. But she wrote an article I read recently about parenting partnerships, where people will get married, but not because they're in love and not because they're going to have sex, but purely to be partners, mother and father to children. That just sounded to me like all of the vegetables, none of the spice. Yeah. <laughs> does anybody want to do that? I mean, there's always somebody that wants to do anything, but... I mean, I, I guess it's sort of like a camp counselor. Like, I think it makes a kind of rational sense that you... Just you know, form a partnership yeah. without fringe benefits. It's like a camp counselors yeah. or something. Roommate. I don't know. It doesn't sound attractive to me. I've just been reading Proust Duchess, this brilliant book about the fin de siècle Belle Epoque Paris, and the aristocrats solved the problem by, they just separated sex and family life. You married for life, and you kept the structure of responsibility in place, the property in place, and then had wild affairs. 
<laughs> that's really when, when we talk about traditional marriage, like Is, until very recently. For the wealthy. I don't yeah, know. That, or, <laughs> or for property and family and dynasties, definitely for the wealthy. It also secured property among the less wealthy. I mean, one of the things that we've seen, and, and we've talked about this before, fewer and fewer people are getting married, but those who are getting married are in the elite. And sort of the whole fallout of the benefits of marriage are hitting people who are economically least capable of dealing with it. So it's great if you can have two breadwinners, and that seems to be where the elite is going. But, you know, single motherhood, children being raised without fathers, that's not something anybody wants to do, quote unquote, by choice, I don't think. And sort of trying to come up with these different models of marriage, it's fine if you can think through your choices. But the institution was there to protect everyone, especially women and children, from this kind of economic fallout. And that may sound, you know, not very romantic, but it, it did work for a while. Yeah, I'm not going to say, by the way, that the, what the aristocrats did worked even for them because it, there was a lot of unhappiness, misery, suicide, you know. So it's just the human drama. I also think, and this is a, a funny thing, that we always talk about traditional marriages. Like the 1950s was kind of the prototype of the traditional marriage. And Vicky writes, it was sort of foisted on women through these 50 shows and it was the perfect on family. Too, by the way. She does say that, too. Yeah. But it At was foisted on them for their own good, and it did, for men especially, marriage correlated with better health and better performance in the workplace. I mean, men sometimes go into it unwillingly, but they appear to flourish in marriage. Well, it forces before. them to, to step up, too. I mean, it forces all of us men. It, it forces a bad word. It's a good thing. It, it makes you step up to greater responsibilities of adulthood and it takes you out of yourself. But just on the 50s model, what we never seem to talk about in this, it's as if this came out of nowhere and, you know, women had worked during the war and then suddenly they were told to go to their ranch homes and be imprisoned with their washing machines. In fact, if you think of that generation and what they saw and lived through and the death and the carnage. My dad rescued men. Well, he didn't rescue. He was on a ship that treated, he was a medic on a ship that treated men who had been on the Bataan March. Right. I mean, Human horrors skeleton, we can't horrors. even imagine. He never talked imagine. about it. I mean, it was years, years and years later that I realized what he'd done. So he and my mother, they were a typical 50s couple, and they just wanted to, my mother wanted to be in that home. Right. It's, it's, it's home. paradise. It's order. It's having children. It's restorative. I mean, and those houses also, those ranch homes were also a miracle. And the the technology that came through, that the washing machine and the vacuum cleaner, they thought you won't need help anymore because housework <laughs> would be just so easy. And, you know, of course that changed. But I think we don't give enough credit to that generation. We're always painting it as some ideological thing that was imposed upon the sexes to conform to some sort of sexual stereotype, when in fact, wouldn't that be the first thing you would want to do Yeah, after yeah. living through absolute hell and horror? Anyway, well, we'll have her on a quick fem facts. Vicki Larson, she's an award-winning journalist. Her work has appeared in New York Times, Washington Post, and The Guardian. She's the author, as I mentioned, of The New I Do, Reshaping Marriage for Skeptics, Realists, and Rebels. And she blogs at OMG Chronicles. Also note, she's been divorced twice, so we can talk to her about 
Maybe she's a little bit of an expert on divorce. <laughs> or not an expert on marriage. <laughs> yes, that's right. Like, I, I don't know. Who do we want advice from marriage about, frankly? And she says she's the mother of two young men who happen to be a lot taller than she is. And so she's much nicer to them. Hey, Vicky, welcome to the Femsplainers. Hey, hi, girls. How are you? Good. It was very funny because I asked you, as we do, our guests, what is your favorite cocktail so we can feature it? And you said an old fashioned, which I thought was really funny in the context that you think traditions and things are, are not working anymore. I, I know, but what's funny about old fashions is that they're hip now, and not that I'm hip. I'm I, I have children who are millennials. I am not a millennial, and I'm nowhere near it, and I'm not hip. But I recently discovered it, and it's pretty darn good. So you may be coming around yeah. to the view of old fashions, and maybe the trend of millennials. Is and maybe maybe Dubonet is going to come back. <laughs> Dubonet <laughs> well, I don't know, will never come back. <laughs> that was Pia Zadora, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Let's um, not get crazy. <laughs> so with the first question we want to ask you is, what do you mean by traditional marriage and why doesn't it work? Well, you know, I don't even really like to use the term traditional marriage because marriage has been many different things throughout history and certainly throughout the world and in different cultures. It's not the same. But if we're thinking of a Western traditional marriage, it is a man and a woman, has been the traditional, now it's, it's different, who have made a vow to be together, sexually monogamous, until death. So basically, in order to have a successful traditional marriage, someone dies, and you're like, yay, success, because we made it. And it doesn't matter if the marriage has been a happy one, if it was loving, or if it was emotionally abusive or worse. As long as you last until one of you kicks off, then you have had a successful marriage. Well, that really is not a fantastic model. And also, we don't really marry like that anymore. That maybe had mattered when women really needed to depend on men to survive. But women are making their own way in the world now. They're very financially successful. They often own homes before they get into a romantic relationship. Even if they do get into a romantic relationship, you can have sex outside of marriage now. You can have children outside of marriage. You can live together and never get married. So what we think marriage traditionally was for, children, living together, sex, that's all out the window. And so if we want to offer a way for people today to marry, then we have to tweak the marriage so that it suits who we are today and how we choose to live. And you point out the incredible decline in the numbers of people getting married. Yeah. That more than half, this is the statistic you use, it may be even more now, but more than half or 53% of children born to women under age 30 today are born to women who didn't get married. 
although many of them live with the baby's father, and in women of mm-hmm. all ages, you write, there's been a 600% increase in single motherhood since 1960. Yeah, it's pretty shocking when you read those numbers. Is it because oh, boy, people you don't think like marriage or are trying to avoid this so-called traditional well, model? I think that historically, marriage hasn't always been great for women. We were men's property, right? We Mm -hmm. took their name, therefore losing our own identity. We were very dependent on our husbands. And if the marriage ended or he died, we didn't often have the financial wherewithal. So it it hasn't always been really great for women. So there might be some of that going on, but let's look at what's happening. John Berger, I think, had a book called Datonomics, and you hear a lot of people saying that there just aren't enough marriageable men, quote-unquote, for women. And so some women are not avoiding marriage. They haven't found a partner. Some of those women really want to have children, and they have children on their own because they can't find a partner. So I don't think necessarily people are rejecting marriage. A lot of millennials still say that they would like to get married, but there are more options now for men and women, and and that's not the only way to be. I don't think people are saying, no, no, marriage is horrible, but some people do. And acrimonious divorces, they don't want to be part of that. Are you familiar with the work of Ron Haskins and Isabel Sawhill at the Brookings Institute? I certainly know Isabel. They write about what they call the success sequence, and they're looking Mm -hmm. at the feminization of poverty and the impact of single motherhood. And while there are women who make all sorts of admirable adjustments, overall, the prospects for kids are, according to their research and lots of other studies, it doesn't look too good. And they, they argue that a durable path into the middle class is through a success sequence, which is get out of high school, get a job, get married, have kids. If you do those four things, (laughs) your chances of flourishing are pretty good. If you take a detour and you're lucky or you're rich, you might be okay. But overall, as a social policy, they're warning that this is ruinous. But isn't Christina (laughs) also that the same is true from the effect of having two parents? And I know, Vicki, you talk about this, like, we'll get into the different types of marriages that can accommodate children this way, but one of the single most important factors in a child's future is whether their parents stay together or not. And it doesn't really matter whether the marriage is happy. It just... You have a mother and a father. You have have a mother and a father. You are far more likely to stay in school, stay stay out out of trouble, that kind of thing. And it appears that broken families, the impact on boys is more severe than on girls. Typically, the father leaves. Okay, so we're, we're, yeah. now getting, we're now getting into the, okay, marriage is an institution for children. We can come back to that. But Vicki, because you've, you've looked at all of this, I know, and you've expressed sympathy of the importance of marriage to children. And just before you came on, Christina, I think we're pretty much agreeing that if you decide you don't want children, it doesn't really matter what you do. It might be nice to be married, but marriage really was created for marriage and property. And it's true even today. Yeah. Yeah, for heirs. I mean, it was... Or no, right. no, but I mean, even half, today, was, even in a working class home, that if a marriage breaks up, that can be shattering to somebody. 
It can be, and it doesn't have to be. And I want to get back to sex. Success, uh, See, success sequence, I can't say it. Success sequence. Say it ten times fast. Say that fast five times. There are a lot of people who just don't buy into it, and it sounds great to say if you just do that, but marriage is not necessarily the big part of that. The big part is, yeah, get, a, get schooling. And yeah, if you're lucky, you live in an area that is supportive, that is wealthy. What we see over and over that where you live matters. There was just a study recently, I think it was in the New York Times that reported on it. So where you live really matters. I grew up in a white middle class suburb and my parents were professional. But if I had been born elsewhere, I would not have done as well. So I don't want to put it all on marriage. No, it's true. The true geography. But these are studies that have been done. Longitudinal studies lo- look over at, time and where, do wherever all, you're from. They do the controls and look at people from the same neighborhood. What are the outcomes? Right. You know, over hundreds of thousands, millions of people. Well, yeah, and people like Philip Cohen and historian, marriage historian Stephanie Kuntz are kind of yeah, they challenge not that. it per se, but they challenge yeah. it. And so it's very important to say it isn't marriage per se. Short schooling, it's good wages, it's not being born into poverty, marriage won't save you from that and make everything okay. No, but it definitely that helps. that makes sense. But one of the yeah. points actually you raised, Stephanie Kuntz, and yeah. you had a good quote from her, and I like this idea. Are we expecting too much from marriage today in Western culture? I mean, in its best sense, the quote was from her, never before mm-hmm. in history has any culture expected so much from this union as we currently do in the Western world. So I think you wrote, we expect romance, great sex, great partner. Talk about that a little. So like back in my mother's day, as I say, women kind of had to get married. There weren't that many options for them. There wasn't a lot of schooling or really good jobs. And even if they had a job, if they got married, they often got fired. And so basically, if a man was a good provider, that's that old breadwinner housekeeper model. And that's really what it was about. There weren't a lot of requirements for a husband and wife, for a spouse. It's different now because women are more educated and we want more from our partner. And men want from women too. And we live longer too. (laughs) And we live longer, yeah. So we're looking for someone who is not only going to be a good partner, but to share in child rearing, if we're having children, to share in house cleaning, if we're, you know, if we're doing that. We want someone who's going to be a best friend. People talk about soulmates. I don't believe in them, but a lot of people believe in them. I believe in soulmates. Fred was my soulmate. (laughs) My husband, my my late husband, he was my soulmate. And David's your soulmate. Well, yeah. Vicky has to find a soul. Uh, well, I, I thought I had one. The funny thing is a few years ago, well, actually many years ago, I was with two girlfriends on a hike and we were all married. And I said, oh, you know, Fred's my soulmate. And they looked at each other like, no, we're not married to our soulmate. Well, guess who got divorced first? <laughs> oh, my <laughs> goodness. soulmate. <laughs> yeah, soulmates can be annoying. <laughs> it makes my mommy cry. When she played house, my daddy said goodbye. I don't want to play house. We're talking.
talking to Vicki Larson, award-winning journalist who's the co-author of The New I Do, Reshaping Marriage for Skeptics, Realists, and Rebels. And you can find more of her writing at the OMG Chronicles. We're talking about, is the traditional marriage dead? Let's accept, Vicki, that traditional marriage is as outdated as rotary phones. Rotary phones. <laughs> yeah. Fax machines. Our intern and, is looking at us quizzically. Yeah, he, has he has no does. idea what that is. a rotary phone. <laughs> yeah, they don't know that. I want to I sometime with Isaac just like start showing him pictures of old pieces of technology <laughs> and see how many he can recognize. Anyway, you know what a party line is? A party line. Oh, he oh. thinks that's something you do at a party yeah, and a yeah, dance. Yeah. He thinks that's a dance. <laughs> okay. So, Vicki, you said there are eight types of marriage. So, so, okay, so let's accept that traditional marriage is totally outmoded. And you have eight types of marriage, as I counted. It's just seven. Oh, I counted eight. Okay. I know what eight is. I'll say it when she finishes. Okay. <laughs> because I thought of it. I thought of it. Okay. Well, starter, one, a companion marriage, mm-hmm. a parenting mm-hmm. marriage, living alone together, which sounds Kafka-esque, but that's Nightmare. actually your long-distance marriage, a covenant marriage. That sounds Mormon. Safety, like- and open. Hang on. One, two, three, four, five. No, you're right. You have seven. I can't count. Yeah. What's your eighth, Christina? Yeah. I've looked at all of this. and. I want to marry you, Danielle. Oh my God! Is this oh, a proposal? A proposal? I think you would be the perfect. You'd be perfect. We wouldn't argue. The house would be Christina, so beautiful. I'm just, I'm just I know, overwhelmed. I, know, I, I didn't overwhelmed. expect it right now. In, the, we'll, in this we'll, moment, we'll drink to it later. All right, let's go on. Okay, never mind. Uh, come on, okay, let's start with the starter marriage. This is like a usually a, a huge term of derision. Like, oh, that's their starter marriage. So I had a start of marriage. I married a few months before my 21st birthday for some reason. And what um, were you it did thinking? not last long. Oh, that's a good I, I reason. Thinking. No, because in her I was, time, it was not I the norm. No, that's thinking. true. I dropped out of college and followed my boyfriend to Colorado. And we lived together with our dogs and our cat and our snake. And we were hippies. And he asked me to marry him. And I said, yeah. And we hadn't talked about anything. Were you Bill rebelling? We were I look. think you married to hmm? rebel. Were you rebelling against your parents? No, no. My parents, I had a wonderful relationship with my parents. No. And so I had to start a marriage. It was a short-term marriage, but mine was unintentional. And what Susan Pease-Gedois, my co-author, and I would like to do is actually say, start a marriage is not a bad idea if you think about having a renewable marriage contract and that you try marriage on to see if it fits you. And people will say, well, it's just living together, but it's not living together because people treat people who live together differently than they treat people who are married. And so you feel it, it's internalized. And so you're really not married. And people who live together, live together for different reasons. Sometimes they're just saving money. Other times, it's a step toward getting married. Other times, they just want to live together. And sometimes the couple have different understanding of what they're doing. So if you really, really want to know what marriage is like, you do need to actually put a ring on it. Sorry to interrupt you, Vicki, because we were just talking because yeah. we had a listener writing that marriage was just a piece of paper. And it is true what you're saying, that living together is different from putting a ring on it. And we've also seen that the longer you live together, the less likely your marriage is to succeed. I guess that shows you guys are sort of testing it, as you say, but you're not really committed, and that's a problem. 
It depends. I know several couples who have been living together for forever, for decades. They have children. They just didn't get married. They just chose not to. So I think you don't need to have a wedding license to be committed. The commitment is that every day you wake up and say, oh, I want to be with you or I don't want to be with you. That's what it is. It just it makes it harder to get out of a relationship if you're married. But also having a marriage license makes you privy to more than 1,100 federal perks and protections, which you're not going to get if you're living together. Exactly. So It's important to women who need that. That's exactly right. It's yeah. important to, to anyone who needs it. And, and, you know, it's why same-sex couples fought so hard for the right to wed because they were shut out of all of those protections and perks. Mm -hmm. So it's not so just a piece of paper. It's not okay, we're only on the I'm starter sorry? marriage. We've got <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. That's so companion marriage. Okay, so the starter marriage okay. you think is an okay thing to just put your toe in the water and see if well, it's going to work. But it's with a caveat. The caveat is that you actually are creating a contract that is saying, why are we getting married? And you have to agree not to have children. You don't want to bring children into a short-term marriage that may be short or that you may re-up and continue. Oh, so you mean so, you start this. You enter this and say, darling, I love you, but this is a starter marriage. So it sounds crazy, maybe, <laughs> but there have been temporary marriages throughout history that have worked, some with the intention of being permanent, others with the intention of not being permanent, just allowing couples to have sex. And that's the muta, which is still very much alive in the Muslim community. And all throughout history, the temporary and renewable marriage contracts have been presented. Mexico City just proposed that. So it's a very conscious we, thing that this is a short... Like so a learner's saying, permit. or like, <laughs> so. But the couples well, are mutually saying this. In a way, what you're saying is you're coming to an agreement, which a lot of couples don't do if they're just going to get married the traditional way. Often there are a lot of expectations and assumptions. This puts it all out there. You are agreeing. Here's what we're doing. Here's how we're going to handle it. When it gets close to when it's time for us to either make it longer or to break up, we're going to have conversations about it. And and if we're going to continue, maybe let's say to have children this time, then you create a new contract of like how we're going to raise our children, what religion, private or public school. You really are having conversations. Our third of marriage is not just a flip thing, incredibly intentional, which is a lot more than what couples do now. It's almost like you're Married asking for heavily marriage counseling, which doesn't seem to happen now. Like, understand what you're getting into. Yeah, because that's a good thing. <laughs> okay, companion marriage. We think. Okay, so a companionship marriage, I kind of struggled a little bit with this one. It's often for couples who are child-free by choice. Asexual? Um, it can be for asexual. Oh, it can be for older people who just want to have someone to be with. Susan, my co-author who got married for the first time in her early 40s, says she has a companionship marriage. They don't have children. You can marry a friend and have it be platonic. 
Oh, so, so Christina! In, could, maybe oh, this is what we, we could, could do. We could be married. <laughs> <laughs> I right, like to be married. Remember, it is those perks and protections, and we some people actually that. are getting married to be on health insurance. Right, so you've decided you're great friends, maybe mm-hmm. you have great sex, you're not going to have kids, but you want to, yeah, you want to have a pal, protections. best no, but friend. The protections, that makes oh, okay. sense, and legal, you know, and health a green, benefits. a green card. Health benefits. I could get you, see, if you married me, I could get you. I'm a citizen. <laughs> okay, parenting. Parenting marriages. Okay, okay these were the, this was the one that flipped me out, I have to say. There are a few different ways of approaching a parenting marriage, but you mentioned Isabel Sawhill. I think she wrote a while ago about responsible parenthood. And this, in a way, is our version of it. Look what's happening with Angelie, Jolie, and Brad Pitt. They have six children between them. They had a prenup for their money. But what is more precious than their money? Those six children, two years after their divorce, they're still fighting about their kids. Well, and this is where kids become pawns in the marriage, right? Like the the pawns in the argument. Yeah, and you know what? That's not what we want. We don't want that. So a parenting marriage takes on a number of different ways for us. You can get married to someone you are not romantically sexually involved with, but you can choose to be co-parents, and you can do that well. I'm divorced. We divorced when our kids were 9 and 12. We co-parented well. I didn't love him anymore. He did not love me anymore. But we got together, celebrated holidays, birthdays, all sorts of events. You don't have to love your partner to raise healthy, happy children. This was also Uh, called, I think there was somebody who wrote The Good Enough Marriage. Christina's frowning at the thought of not having sex. I just want (laughs) to, I mean, what if just one night you get drunk? No, but I think also like parenting without sex. You could have you know, sex, but not with your spouse okay. if you have an open marriage. Evelyn Waugh once said when asked about teaching boys and pedophilia, he said pedophilia is the only thing that makes it bearable. Super politically incorrect thing. But come on, <laughs> sex is the only thing that makes raising toddlers bearable, right? If you don't have that. It's just a <laughs> relentless Cheerios in the minivan. Oh, God. You know, I'm already fainting. <laughs> well, uh, I'm going to get arrested again. for that joke. Yeah. Even I'm <laughs> one. She's just repeating a joke, just repeating a joke, an inappropriate joke. You can still be having sex. It just doesn't have to be with the person you're co-parenting with. So when you did this, were we... you separated or were you living in the same house? We bird nested for a while. We're We had a place outside the home, and so he was with the kids on the weekends. I was with the kids during the week while we were deciding whether we were going to stay together or not. But there was a couple. She is also a psychologist here in San Francisco, and she had an unmarriage ceremony with her former husband. They lived together. They've been... Didn't they, Gwyneth they Paltrow have that? That was conscious uncoupling. Conscious uncoupling. We'll never know that. Conscious uncoupling we'll is a really different place. thing. But they just decided that they were not going to be married anymore, but they live in the same home and they are raising their child. And that might be hard for some people, but Susan, who is also a therapist and 
has helped a number of people transition from marriage to a parenting marriage in which they do remain in the home to raise their children. And the beauty of that is there's no more fighting because you've removed the romantic sexual aspect of your relationship. So you're not fighting anymore. You both have access to the children. The children have access to both parents. It's not for everyone. Right. You have to be the most reasonable people in the world to make this work. Well, you know what? If you're going to have children, you better get your act together, Mm -hmm. (laughs) is what I believe. You need to really put the kids first. That should be the goal. And that's really what a parenting marriage ultimately is about. And that you uh, and are all, all exterior sexual life is outside. Like presumably, Dad doesn't bring his girlfriend into this arrangement. You know, you know he will. Can, He'll come home one night. Every, <laughs> and I'll want to know can, where was he? What were you doing? <laughs> Please join the Femsplainers. Yes, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast hangout. And follow us on Instagram at the Femsplainer Podcast. And find the Femsplainers on Facebook and Twitter at Femsplainers. And learn all about us at Femsplainers.com. Thank you. Yeah, Femsplainer. Before we go on, everything yeah. that I've heard so far, and it does make sense up to a point. But it sounds kind of like a full employment strategy for lawyers and therapists. It's like a union contract. If it's going to be this complicated and people have to contemplate and stipulate, people have been partnering, pairing off, and marrying forever. And now Mm -hmm. suddenly we have an innovation, but it's going to take a lot of lawyers to write these contracts. And it's going to take a lot of Mm -hmm. therapists to get you to stick to them because somebody's going to be unhappy. Someone's going to be jealous. You have to be reasonable. Like, There has to be no human emotion involved in this except for your mutual love of the children. Oh, that's not Angelina Jolie is so whatever, but, well, we don't know. I just read the tabloids. But you're using your children as pawns because you are angry. Like, that's the problem, right? When these partnerships break down, people are angry at each other. Well, when two people break apart, somebody's bitter. Once in a while, they'll get over it. But to live in the same house, to see them go out. Oh, no. uh, anyway, well, it's not what everyone can do, but it's what some people are interested in doing. And again, people are a lot more broad-minded nowadays. You hear more and more people talking about polyamory and consensually non-monogamous relationships. I never heard about that when I was younger. I didn't know that that was an option. Now people do hear about it. They think about it. They know about it. So we're changing our ways of approaching work and parenting and relationships. And so it may sound weird to us being from an older generation. I think you may be younger than me. Do I have to say my age? (laughs) Just give me a general idea what year you graduated. I'm 62. Oh, well, I'm older than that. (laughs) Okay, so you're 62. You're not that much Don't you remember in the 60s, free love, open marriage? Yes. And all that. And there were communes based on this philosophy. Sure. And they turned out to produce chaos and anime. Yeah, but we're not hippies anymore. It's different. I mean, what happened then, you can't compare with what's happening now. It's just different now. And that happened and everyone got untethered. You look pretty good for 60. I thought you were much younger, by the way. From your picture. Not that it matters. Me? Afterwards, you can tell us your beauty secrets. But tell us your beauty secrets. (laughs) (laughs) 
my parents were good looking. I was lucky. <laughs> jeans, jeans, jeans. Okay. So it's the same like when no-fault divorce happened in the 70s, and there was this massive amount of divorces, a big spike, but there was no support for divorcing people. And so those children got lost in that mm -hmm. shuffle. But that's not what happens anymore. There's so much support for divorcing people now. And there's a lot of support for people who are looking for non-traditional partnerships. And okay, can so I, can I have to break in. I have to break in and say, as soon as you said that, it occurred to me, that, is there enough support for married people? Is there enough support in the culture for helping you make this connection, make this love continue? And what worries me is that the research of, you know, people like Phil Cohen and Stephanie Coons, and they've been against marriage forever. They are infinite source for statistics on why it doesn't work, why it can't work, and so forth. But people still want it. And what if we had a marriage-supporting society? And one of the things you mentioned was that a lot of women can't get married. There aren't marriageable men. And my analysis of that is that we've let a lot of boys down educationally. Our educational system serves girls a lot better than boys. Boys don't oh, get the message. Or, or I would interrupt you and say, also, boys have no reason to get married. Like, there's no stepping up. This is not how you be a man. Well, as a mother why, of two boys Why would boys they get myself, married? Yes, you are I mean, married. My mother of two boys. How old are they? My, yeah, they're in their 20s. Yeah. Are they uh, married? No, my older son is just about to turn 28. He was with a long-term girlfriend that broke up, but he's got a new one. The younger one is only 24 and also broke up with a girlfriend. I know my older son definitely wants to get married. He wants children. He wants to raise soccer stars. So, <laughs> and I said, well, honey, you know, there's no guarantee on that. He'll so adopt them that... from like Spain, you know, like my son, who's <laughs> yeah. a baseball fan, wants to adopt children from the Dominican Republic. <laughs> oh, okay. There you go. Where there's a will, there's a way. The younger one, I don't really know. I'm not sure whether he really wants to be married or to have children. I know he likes being partnered, but I agree that school is not well positioned for boys. It was hard. So I agree with you on that. If we just meet them halfway, a lot of the policies in schools are sort of punitive towards boys. And we've had massive amounts of interventions to help girls in math and science, which are wonderful and which have been effective, but almost nothing to help boys well, with reading and writing and schooling. Yeah, but it's also like we need interventions for everybody, girls too, to talk about how marriage and motherhood will fit. Well, no, I'm just talking life. about boys being no, but boys marriage worthy and, you know, being employable. And we've got <laughs> a large cohort of young men who are not ready for an information economy. Okay, so your next model, four. Living alone together slash long distance. Tell us yeah. about that model. LAT, live alone together, is a really growing phenomenon. It's hmm. really big in Europe. It's growing here in the States. It happens with young people because one, maybe the schooling is apart or you get a job here and the other one has a job there, but that's a different kind. There are more people who are consciously choosing to live apart together because they have maybe a need for personal space. And it doesn't mean you have to be across the town or across the country or across the world. You could be next door to each other. I know some people who live upstairs and downstairs from each other. They just need their own space. When this is growing, you say, so it's, it's not just amongst like loners. I actually knew. No, 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 that's how not they made at it all. Work. 
Yeah, sometimes it's because of professional needs. One of the couples we interviewed on the book, her business was on the East Coast, his was on the, the West Coast, and they made agreements that they would never go X number of time without seeing each other. And with all of this technology, you can Skype, you can do a Google Hangout, you've got phones with you 24-7. and can't have and sex. You can be No, you have great sex because you've been away and then you're excited. No, but you can't over and Google yes, you Skype. Do. No, that you is, can't Skype You know it. what? Oh, that is a perk. Okay, but you can't yeah. Skype Absence it. makes the heart grow fonder, yes. right? And that is an absolute perk. Because you know when you're living together 24-7, you can start to take the other person for granted. Or Madame and... Bovary resent the way he sips his soup. <laughs> Right. Also, um, you have a lat marriage, living alone together. But there's yeah. also a laud marriage, L-A-W-D, living alone with a dog. Oh, that's... See, Christina, <laughs> if I reject you, if I turn down your proposal, that's... I'll marry Izzy. <laughs> You'll marry Izzy. My multi-poo. <laughs> she, I am so happy with this little dog. <laughs> okay, next one, covenant marriage. What is Yeah, that? okay, so... We struggled with this because a covenant marriage is a really restrictive marriage. But did you know that it is an actual different marriage license? There are two marriage licenses in the United States, your regular run-of-the-mill marriage license, and then there's the covenant marriage license, which is only available in four states. Oh, is this a Mormon um, thing or a Sharia law? It's not Mormon. No, it was evangelicals evangelical. who created this. Because they wanted to make marriage be that covenant. So to have a covenant marriage, you have to go through premarital counseling. It's a lot of paperwork. It's very involved. So it's harder to get into and then it's harder to get out of. But it's not really very popular, even in the states that you can get it. It's like Louisiana, I'm forgetting of Mississippi, I think. But from our research, the people who choose it are happy. And the reason why is they have matched expectations. When you have matched expectations of a relationship, you're generally happier. So because they have to go through all these hoops and paperwork to get into it, they're very, very conscious of what they're doing, very conscious, and they're willingly doing it. So it's not a marriage that I would want, but we did put it in there because it is available. Well, you could argue you know, at another point in time, and for better or worse, this is like mm -hmm. recreating what you talk about in the 50s in traditional marriage when all of society expects you to get marriage, mm -hmm. come to marriage with the same expectations. And how many of those work or are happy is probably the same as it is today. Just we're allowed to divorce today. But if you were to go back, everybody entered into it. Everybody had the best expectations or went into it because they felt they needed to be married. I mean, I don't know if they had the same expectations, which is why with the start of marriage, with the marital contract of talking it out, you do kind of have to have the same expectations. And that just puts it out on paperwork and lets you both know that this is what we're doing and this is why we're doing it. So in a way, it's kind of like a covenant marriage in that you have to do all this prep work. But that's a good thing. That's mm -hmm. a good thing. Christina, did you have anything on the covenant marriage or do we move on to safety? A safety marriage? What about a dangerous marriage? <laughs> you are such like a... No, I just don't like the idea of safety. Oh okay, tell us what the safety marriage is. 
The subheading on that is money can buy you love and happiness. Oh, okay. We know this is fair. He's tall when he stands on his money. (laughs) Okay. So when the late Hugh Hefner married Crystal Harris and they had, what, 60-year difference between them, people would say, that's not a real marriage. It's an arrangement. Honestly, they both knew what they were doing. They both knew what they wanted from their marriage. And that is just as much a real marriage as any other marriage, and maybe even more so because they both are going into it with their eyes wide open. Well, it's also very traditional, right? Like, that is not an untraditional marriage. Well, in a way, it could be traditional because women had no options then. Right. Literature is full of women marrying economic. This is just a modern version, a Hugh Hefner version of a younger woman marrying some older guy who has a pig farm or something, and she's going to be stable. <laughs> like Madame Bovary. Or a younger man marrying an older woman. That happens, too. Not very much. Rarely. I've checked it Not out. A... It doesn't happen very much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's smaller than the men marrying the younger women, that's for sure. But, you know, I but, wouldn't even want to marry. Know, I wouldn't want to marry a younger man, would you? Well, no, this is the great, like, prejudice that we can't really talk about. Right. Because I'd be terrified all the time. I'd be having like plastic surgery yeah, 24-7. I, yeah. Be, yeah. Well, the other way. I don't know about that. Look, you, Jackman, is married to an older woman. A number of men are married. I think Pierce Brosnan is married to a, an Mac older woman. In Paris. <laughs> yeah. The he, ultimate older woman. Ultimate. Oh my gosh. His teacher. But look at her. She's like constantly. <laughs> well, she's working hard. To, she's working yeah, hard. That's not easy. I don't want to Yeah. Work well, that. I wouldn't want to have to work that hard, um, quite honestly. And also... The safety marriage is that you are basically saying, yeah, money matters because it does. And you're being upfront about that. And I think that's important because sometimes women get married with the expectation that they will not work or work part time where men don't have that option necessarily. <laughs> they don't get married and go, hmm, maybe I'll stop working. So and who would want to marry it's that? It's really man. good to have those conversations. The data that I've seen about desire and preference for women and men. Catherine Hakim, formerly London School of Economics, and actually the Pew Research Foundation has done similar research. They asked people, what is your ideal? They've asked this of married men and women. And consistently, research shows that about 20% of women want to work full-time. They're complete equals with their husbands. 20% want to be stay-at-home moms and do not wish to enter the workplace and hope not to do so. And the only reason mm-hmm. they would do so is some calamity. But 60% of women, Catherine Hakim calls them adaptives, they envision, you know, mm-hmm. sort of coming in and out of the workplace. Maybe once they mm-hmm. have kids, they'll withdraw a little bit. And her hypothesis, and Hakim studied Western Europe, Pew Research Foundation found the same thing here. And this sort of resonates with me. And then when they ask men, the majority wanted to work full time. And you didn't find right. a large percentage who thought it would be fun to stay home with kids. I mean, there are a few, and sometimes that works, but right. just in terms of what people want. Well, Vicki, you write about sort of the life script, and I guess if a lot of people like the script, there may be some truth to the script that we want romance, we want love, we want eternity, blah, blah, blah. But you also suggested that when you get married, when you have children, women often just fall into this role raising the children and staying at home if they're financially able, but that it was something imposed on them. As Christina says, that's what a lot of women want. And what if we're just trying to 
impose some new idea of marriage on them. That's always been the problem, right? Instead of giving support to people's actual preferences, what we're doing is just jerry-rigging something and coming up with all these alternatives based on a dysfunctional situation. Well, okay. First of all, we didn't make any of these models up. We looked to see what's already happening in society, but it's not an imperative. It's just to say, here's an option if you want this, instead of just saying it has to look a certain way. It's, I hate the word giving people permission because you don't need permission. It's just to, to know that there are options. Like I said earlier, when I was younger, I didn't know that there were other scripts besides the script that I had in my head. Meet someone, fall in love, get married, have children, the dog, the house, the minivan. Sadly, I have the minivan. Nobody wants a minivan. Can we just get rid of the minivan? Get rid of the minivan. Go to a crossover SUV. (laughs) No SUVs at all. I didn't know that there were other ways to live. And so what we are hoping that our book and the conversations that we have about it are just saying, look, here's other people doing this. Maybe this would work for you. Maybe you would like this. And so what was incredibly rewarding was that we did hear from people who said, thank you. I feel really validated in my choices. So it's not saying, oh, you have to do this or you should do this. I hate to use the word should. There should be no shoulds about anything that one does romantically or not. It's just, here are some things that you can consider if you think that that is the way that you might want to be partnered. I've watched mommy and daddy And if that's the way it's done I don't want to play fast We're talking with journalist Vicki Larson, co-author of The New I Do, Reshaping Marriage for Skeptics, Realists, and Rebels, and blogs at the OMG Chronicles. We're talking about alternative forms of marriage to traditional marriage. Now, what about arranged marriages? Is that not in your list? That was originally going to be a chapter, but arranged marriage doesn't mean that your marriage itself is different. It's just the way that you get into it. And we heard from people who were in arranged marriages, and they said, made sense to me. We heard from some women who said, the West has this crazy idea of love, I'll tell you what love is. Love is when your husband goes out to work to support your family. You grow into love instead of must be crazy in love before you get married. And she was happy in her you marriage. Know, you know, my, that was love to her. One side of my family is Orthodox Jews, very Orthodox in uh-huh. Rural Park, New York. And they, they have arranged marriage in this sense. My niece, for example, there were young men that are selected for her, and she can choose. Mm-hmm. She goes on dates. They, and they're young men, too. They go on a series of dates until the earth moves. So they do find someone they, they like, they love, they're attached to. But the people that the community deems appropriate for them are selected. And Well, that goes to very the covenant successful. marriage, right? Both sides are aligned on the goal. Let me throw something at you, Vicki. Whether it's arranged or however you enter into it, Love is ultimately about mutual self-sacrifice. When we talk about choice, 
It's like, well, I'd like this, Mm -hmm. I'd like that. And that's maybe where a lot of modern people get into trouble. They look at it as this smorgasbord of choices, and they are never going to have to maybe give up something to be in love. And whether as a spouse or a parent, if you turn this role into some sort of job title, you actually miss out on the greater evolution of your soul. Because it's only in that kind of self-sacrifice that you have experienced as a mother, spouse, that coming out of yourself, becoming bigger than yourself, that's the incredible thing about marriage and parenthood. And people who are on the other side of it and who are looking at this as a kind of job description don't understand that the things that horrify them, like, oh my God, look at that person with the screaming toddler, and they're never going to be able to eat a meal together again. To subvert your own needs to others is the thing that makes you a bigger person. Does that make sense? What it do you does. Think? I don't think you need marriage for that. And I don't even think you need romantic partnership for that. There are a lot of people now, I mean, younger people who are experimenting in co-housing. They've created intentional communities. I know of single moms who they will all rent a house together. They will watch each other's kids, take care of each other. They create a community and you can accomplish pretty much the same thing with loving, platonic, intentional families, families of choice, basically. I wouldn't want to say marriage is the only way to get that or even romantic relationships. I mean, I like romantic relationships. Just saying love, not even romantic love. Just love is is really about... Love, yes, love. For your kids. It doesn't have to be romantic. Love for my kids, love for my friends. I have an amazing village of lovelies, I call them. We've known each other for decades. We take care of each other if there's sickness or if someone has a divorce. We are involved in each other's kids' lives. That's love. That is so fulfilling. It doesn't have to be through marriage. I just would say I'm not necessarily going to throw myself on a train track to stop a express train <laughs> killing for my friend, but I would for my child, much as I might love my friend. But oh, well, I, children are a different category. <laughs> right. We had one more category. This is pretty yes. obvious, but let's, let's just do it. Kind. Open marriage. Oh, yeah. Bring yes. it on. Open. Oh, Christina, yes. hey, wait a second. You wanted to marry what? me minutes ago, and now you're telling me you're going to cheat on me? What? I'm Well, uh, <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, you're already married, so at least I have to have an opportunities. <laughs> okay, open marriage. Go for it, Vicky. So this is not a new concept, right? Here's the thing. We know that there is a lot of cheating going on. There's a lot of infidelity. We don't know exactly how much because people always aren't honest about their sexual people lives. People lie. People lie. But we know that cheating happens. And therefore, you see all these articles on how to affair proof your marriage. You really can't because you cannot control another person's behaviors. You can only control yourself. So a lot of people don't talk about monogamy. They don't say, am I good at it? Do I like it? Am I choosing it? If I had my perfect world, would I be monogamous? So we want to get that dialogue going because we're tired of those articles that say how to affair-proof your marriage. Let's just talk about monogamy and let's define what infidelity would be. Is it if you're 
spouse watches porn? Is it if your spouse is sexting with someone? Is it just having a dinner with a member of the opposite sex? I suddenly thought of something. It's going to radicalize this conversation. Uh oh. I think <laughs> okay. I think monogamy is going to have a huge comeback because sexting and having affairs with coworkers. I mean, there was a time where a professor could have affairs with students and no consequences. Mm-hmm. Now there are consequences. So it's very dangerous to have affairs. It may be that everyone's just going to start being well, more committed well, to their well, that marriage. that goes back in a time. The thing that we don't talk about marriages of the 50s is they weren't like having affairs like rabbits. That once you have marriage at 21 and those expectations that you talk about, Vicki, everybody has to get married or in arranged marriages or whatever then you create a culture where people are going to tolerate a certain amount of affairs. But when we've got these marriages where the expectations are high, that you have to be everything to your person, open marriage is very, very tough. I think you can enforce it on another person. I mean, I know that if I were caught sexting or even having a coffee with someone, with that would be, I'd, I'd be in such trouble and, and vice versa. If there's any whiff, enforcement is the wrong idea because commitment is based on trust. And if you feel that you can't trust that other person or that there's something that they don't love you. Or there's going to be enough, less temptation because every time you're tempted, the you situation the consequences could, are, are could, worse. You could be vaporized, a disappeared person. In- or, or you wreck this beautiful thing you have built at home. So it's not that there aren't temptations. It's if I indulge these temptations, I I'm just saying that in the past you could indulge them. And now there may be a much higher price for men. Women, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, you know, everyone who saw that movie, A Fatal Attraction, should have been a way to call. <laughs> right? no, that's a great example, but, actually. Actually, that's true. Is- People have paid a high price in the past, but they still do I- it. That's why it may be incurable. Women are catching up to men as when it comes to affairs. No, but I would say men are actually maybe more traditional in that sense, that feeling if you love a woman and you feel that she is not with you, they feel it too. I think it's a mutual thing. It's about trust. We all accept that there are temptations on both sides. But if you're going to indulge those temptations, that's not a relationship built on trust. And it will ruin things, especially if you have kids. And I urge people to read this book that I'm obsessed with, which is Proust's Duchess, Caroline Weber. One of his duchesses, Geneviève Bizet, married some inappropriate man, Mr. Strauss. And people say, why did you marry him? She said, I married him because it was the only way I could get rid of him. (laughs) (laughs) I guess you have to be Parisian to get it. (laughs) Well, monogamy can be hard for some people. and For a lot of people, let's be honest. It can be hard. Otherwise, you wouldn't see the amount of cheating that you do, at least that we think is happening. Again, no one really fully knows. Esther Perel would say there are so many ways to be horrible to your spouse. You can be contemptuous and you can be abusive, but sex is the only thing that we get upset about. Like you will divorce over an affair, but no one's freaking out of the fact that people are treating each other horribly and contemptuously. So we put this high premium on sexual fidelity. I think sexual fidelity is a symptom, right? Like if someone is feeling that need, even what we talk about as emotional affair, that if your husband or wife is feeling that they need something outside of the marriage, that's a sign that there's a problem. So I don't think it's just sexual fidelity. It's if there's a problem and you're seeking it outside of it, there's a problem. That makes sense. 
It doesn't, but that's all right. <laughs> okay, Vicki, we got to wind this up. It's been amazing talking yes. to you. What's the romantic future for Vicki? <laughs> well, funny you ask. Do you um, have a soulmate? So, You're um, a soulmate. <laughs> no, I had a partner that I broke up with. Can't you say lover? Uh, I don't like partner. Okay. It's corporate. I had a lover. He was oh, more oh, than a lover. Don't say lover. It sounds like you do it all the time. Just told her to say lover. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually love the word lover. I do too. Um, Let's bring it back. Let's have lover. Yeah. Paramount. <laughs> yeah. So that ended and I have been actively dating and I am... What is actively dating? Are you on Tinder? Like, what is it like to be... No, not on Tinder. Our age I, and yeah. on app dating. Actively dating. You know what? I will tell you this. It's been fine. I am obviously an older woman, and everyone will tell older women that they will never find a good man. That's wrong. I've met a lot of very interesting men, and I've met men who want to be with women that are age appropriate. So they're not all looking for younger women. And if they are, that's fine. You're not in my pool, but you're not looking right at ahead. men in nursing homes either. No, I don't want to be a nurse with a purse. (laughs) 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 You know, give or take five years. Sometimes I think I would like to be partnered. Other times I think, well, this is kind of fun seeing a few special people I really care about. I definitely am going to be a live apart together person. I like my space. So I don't know. I'm open to all sorts of possibilities. You have a nice guy for me. Marin County, everybody, everybody in Marin County. Or a cute multi-poo. Yeah. <laughs> Living alone with a dog. I'm just telling you, I find it quite fulfilling. Well, my late mother-in-law used to say everyone marries his nurse. So I can completely see at this time in life, you don't want to be that guy's nurse. Yeah. That's no fun. I have another friend who says, at this age, you get worried like you can't imagine taking your clothes off in front of someone, right? That's like, the problem with a younger man. Well, no. You want, yeah, a, you want a person man. who's already... With any man. And I have a friend who said to me once, she said, at my age, I just want to look nice in clothes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's already hard enough. <laughs> it's already hard enough that you have to take your clothes off in front of someone at this age. It's kind of terrifying. <laughs> well, she might... Vicky, looks, Vicky, there, Vicky, looks looks like, awesome. Vicky looks like she could do that. So okay. I'm just saying... All right, Vicky. <laughs> she's a Californian now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Vicky, it's been California so wonderful girl. having you. Thank you. Well, oh, we'll make old fashioned. so wonderful talking to both of you. We love talking to so you. A lot to think yeah, yeah. about. No, I think options. I think this is what everybody's trying to work through. Except that traditional yeah. marriage is probably the best way, but never mind. Oh, she just dropped that. <laughs> oh, I'm uh, kidding. I'm kidding. No, you're not kidding. Because I'm right, no? Yeah, obviously. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Vicky. Thanks for joining us. Take care. <laughs> Bye-bye. I don't want to play fast It makes my mommy cry Cause when she played house My daddy said goodbye I do think that it's going to take a lot of therapists and lawyers, as I said, to keep it all together. And when you're madly in love with somebody, you don't want all of that rigmarole. You want to be with them forever. Well, I think also the problem is that very few people seem to be finding that madly in love person. And I don't know why. Is it because 
men are not stepping up to the plate. They're not ready to get married earlier. I mean, in some cases, people meet their soulmate in their 30s. You know, it doesn't always come in your 20s. It's true. It's all true. It. But I guess it's being open to that. But what Vicky's offering is the default setting is you're not going to meet that person. Even if you think it's that person, it's, it's not, not going to work out. So here are eight, seven I mean, statistically, models. she may be right. Oh, for sure. And, and here are seven models that you can follow that may make you happy. All of them made Don't me a little depressed. Except one of them, our new found. Justine, I'm still reeling from your proposal. I know, I know. But we have in our studio a millennial, Isaac, who's 22. And he has made the commitment. He has proposed. He is engaged. And let me add that he's a University of Chicago graduate. Very cute. Very on the go. And he's engaged. So, Isaac, I know you get this, I'm sure, from your friends. You're treated like someone from another planet. By certain friends. <laughs> Just give us a little background. What made you decide to pop the question at 22? I'm in love with my fiance. She is my soulmate, if that's the term of art. She knew this sooner than I did, but she says, oh, when I first saw you, Isaac, and she tells people this, I just wanted to marry you. When did you meet her? In May of my sophomore year of college. I think if I'd met him in May of my sophomore year, I would want to marry him too. I <laughs> no, get that. I get it. This is the thing that we're told never happens. And I think this whole podcast has been premised that, and, and maybe it's rare. Like, but you know, no, no, but, but I think if kids are open to it, it could happen. Know, Everybody's but, but you did you feel the same way? Julia, right? Did you feel the same way about Julia? So there was an Israeli Independence Day party in my friend's dorm room. Is she Israeli? No, she's from Chicago. And she had heard from her friend, she's a year younger than me, who was in her Arabic class, that there was this Republican that he knew who was actually somewhat intelligent. <laughs> and Despite everything. Despite everything. Shocker, right? And I walk in to this party, and this is from my end, and I hear this voice shout, Isaac the Republican. <laughs> and I turn around and I say, hey. Because <laughs> obviously I'm like the only one at this party who's a Republican. I'm not even a Republican. I'm just conservative. And from her end, apparently she just turns to her friend and says, who's that guy who just walked in? And he turns to her and says, that's Isaac, the Republican. <laughs> and so that was oh what God, gave her. Species. I know, right? And she says it was right then and there that she knew that she wanted how, to. How does she explain that? Tell people, how does one know? You'd have to ask her, maybe another episode of yeah, We'll bring Julie on. We'll bring Julie on. But what has she reported you, to It's you? one enchanted evening, but this was one enchanted Israeli independence party. I think she thought that I was kind of this oafish, you know, stumbling around guy in, this, in these shorts and long sleeve button down shirt. That I look kind of like an Amazon explorer, I guess, because of the shirt that I was wearing. You were making it very obvious why she thought. Yeah, right. Okay, fine. Fair enough. Fair enough. In college, I was much less clean shaven than I am now. You know, oh, that really? You been... had a beard? Oh, yeah. I was waiting for a way more suave description. That would be... <laughs> a week later, I had invited Julia to a White Sox game. And that was, I think, our first official date. She's a big White Sox fan, in fact. To go back, how did... She know, like, or as they would have said in old times, she set her cap for him. What is her reasoning? Like, you're this schlumpy guy, as you've just described. He's, he's adorable. What no, do I know schlumpy? he's adorable, but he's describing himself as this schlumpy guy that set off hearts. I think if you know, you know, right? This is what one always tries to say, and you would probably try to say this to Vicky, right? You've got this elaborate ways of partnership, and 
not everybody maybe gets the spark, right? Right. No. So I would say, like, my response to Vicky, in giving the sort of categories of marriage, I think that she really lays out a set of options. I mean, obviously, that's what she's trying to do. But I think that she's grappling with this question about what is the most natural condition for people to live in. And I think marriage is not a natural institution. It's built on top of nature. It's in some ways contrary to nature. Men, I think, it's totally natural to want to have as many sexual partners as you possibly can. I mean, the harem culture is the most natural. And if you talk to people in fraternities and stuff like this, and it's very much a, you know, a sort of harem culture. I wasn't in one, but it's not like every guy in a fraternity is getting laid all the time. A very small number of men are having a lot of sex with a disproportionate number of women. Yeah, right? That's true in, the, in harem cultures, too. Yeah. It's it, a few privileged individuals. And so I think that Vicky is grappling with this question, which is where does marriage fit into this natural state of affairs? Because you want an even distribution of men having children with an even number of women. You don't really want this natural state of affairs because it's bad for society. But what made you, as a 22-year-old man, which is very young by any standard, what made you decide that, I want to do this? What made you decide that? I don't, Aside from loving her, obviously. Sure, yeah. It's hard to isolate one thing because my love for her comes out in many different ways. I mean, she is my best friend. She's the person that I ask for advice from. She's the person I trust most. She's the person who cooks the best food for me. Already uh, she knows how to cook? Oh, my God. She's a wonderful cook. Oh, that's huge. She's incredibly intelligent. She's super perceptive of people. She really loves good people and exclusively loves good people. Does she like the femsplainers? She does like the <laughs> Hey, come on. No I like this girl. Okay, so she's this stellar person. What made you decide, though, that this is the one for... A long, 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 long time. 99.9 .9 years or even more <laughs> what now. What made you decide, like, she's great. How do you project, and I want to spend the rest of my life with this person? What were you thinking? Like, not, not what were you thinking, but like, what are you thinking? I think your husband, when he was on the podcast, really captured this really well when he said, you look around and there are other beautiful women, but they don't have the thing that, for me, Julia has. It's not like... There are comparable women to her in my life. I walk down the street and there are plenty of beautiful women. We live in D.C. There are so many beautiful women, but none of them, you know, have the sort of internal beauty to my eyes that Julia has. <sighs> I'm, uh, I'm verklempt. Well, I think, I think what you're saying, and this is what David, my husband, did love. say, was when it happens, you shouldn't even be signing a cell phone contract, right? Like, you're just out of your mind. But somehow... That rocket fuel of an early attraction, if you're lucky, it goes into kind of cruise control that sort of gets you through the next years of children and things. But how rare is that? You're lucky if you found it at 22. Some people don't find it till later, but maybe some people most never people find, find it. Most people do find do it, don't you think? Do you think? I remember David, my husband, was citing me. I'm going to get it wrong, and then he's going to correct me when I get home. But... <laughs> He had some professor who had done a study on arranged marriage, and he went and, you know, they did factors of happiness and contentment and soulmateism. They went through all of them. And when asked, he said, on the whole, arranged marriages, hit or miss, are about the same as people who find each other. Like, there's going to be 30% who hate each other. I'm just making this yeah, up. 30% right. who say, ah, oh, it's good. And then, <laughs> you know, another 30% or 20% who say, 
I love this person. So however you find it, I don't think we can underestimate how hard it is. But I think our culture makes it hard, and that's one thing. That's true. My main we, criticism right. of Vicky, and I liked her a lot, she's a kind, loving person, and she's mm-hmm. trying to help people. But I think that we live in a society that undermines love, undermines commitment, and is constantly treating it as impossible and it's a problem, and every television shows a broken family and so forth. So we don't Right, see, we don't believe in romantic love. We, we don't. don't believe in it. But I do. I should say that we also, you know, have had our fair share of fights, what have you. It's not like a total walk in the park. So just because you fall in love with someone who has it for you does not mean that it's not going to be work. That's exactly right. I remember, I've told my kids this, that the first year, not even of our marriage, of our courtship with David, despite our incredible spark, we must have argued more that first year than we would ever argue again. And people, obviously, you have fights and arguments, but it was like we were working out the rules of engagement and we had to do that, but we were committed. I remember saying to David, Vicky talked about this, changing the name and that women are forced to change their name. And I said, well, I think I should keep my name. And he said, why? And I actually said, well, what if we get divorced? <laughs> and he goes, oh, great. You're going into this thinking that? I came to think that, like, the name issue is symbolic. It's just our custom. You know, you can keep your name in professional circumstances, but eventually, if you have children, you're going to have to lock down on a name. And if you're hyphenating, what are their... You can't oh, it's have, too like, confusing. nine hyphenated Stop that. Names Stop the eventually. hyphenating the kids. But it was like, you're a country. You form a little nation. You 100%. are your own unit. And whatever the name is, the point is that you become one. You're your own little nation with its own little cultures. But that doesn't mean, as you say, that there's back and forth an argument that goes into that, and that's healthy. I mean, the question is, is that I think that many people asked when they developed this sad, tired institution of marriage, they asked the question of how do we get away from this natural state of affairs? And now I don't know the history of the naming issue, but I assume that part of adopting one name for a family is precisely, as you said, making sure that the institution lasts. You want it to last because it's good for... Spanish cultures, it's matrilineal, like choose a side. The idea is ultimately that you want to form a sort of stable bond between these two people so that you can carry on certain traditions that exist now to the next generation. And you want the next generation to be happy, well-adjusted, thoughtful, kind, caring individuals. And what better model to create that than having two people who are united? And even if they have problems, they still figure out ways of dealing with them. I know this army chaplain, and he deals a lot with spousal issues. One thing that he talks about a fair amount is couples fall out of love sometimes. How do you deal with that? I think he picks this up from the guy who wrote Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. But the answer is this couple They've fallen out of love. The husband says, I've fallen out of love with my wife. There's nothing I can do about it. And the wife says the same. He says to them, you know, fall back in love with each other. They say, well, I can't do that. He never puts away the dishes or she never cleans up her laundry. He's like, here's something we can work right. with. Or show, you, you stop showing appreciation for the other. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, certain aspects of marriage are certainly difficult. And I'm very lucky, I think to have someone who I'm so deeply in love with. But if we couch everything in the language of love, when certain initial attractions die away, we lose the language and the tools 
to reestablish certain connections that can very readily be reestablished. And I'm going to say they don't have to die away. I hate it when they use this thing like you have to work at it, like marriage is a task. It's because it's more of, that sounds like tedious and hard, that there's no doubt. And actually what I liked about Vicky saying about the starter marriage, that asking yourself the tough questions up front is a good thing. If there are differences in religion, I mean, these are going to be things that come sure. back to bite you. Like, like David saying to me, what, you, what, you're going into this marriage with the thought that we're going to divorce? That was an important thing to wrestle with. Turns out it's just my, like my throwaway feminist line. But, you know, you have to work through those things and it's important to do so because life, as we know, you're in love, you're young, but you're going to go through illness, death. There are going to be real tests that life throws at you. And being able to be confident in that other person, I think it's more of an evolution. I don't want to call it work. I want to, I want to say that you evolve and you go through different stages together. And there's times when you have little kids and you want to like blow your brains out and you're exhausted. But as long as you two maintain that unit together and work through it together, I think that's what we talk about. When and we as a, my advice, don't criticize each other too Stop much. Stop nagging. <laughs> Stop <laughs> nagging. Don't nag. <laughs> and, and that can develop into contempt. I don't know. Come on. I, I, uh, I would just like to come to another Julia defense. You didn't have to defend Julia. We're all pro-Julia. We're pro-Julia. But I would just like to discuss how wonderful she is in another respect, just to establish that these issues that arise, I'm in a way fortunate, in certain ways unfortunate, that I've experienced like certain hardships that have tested our relationship. So my mother passed away in the spring of 2017. So so for the entirety of that time, I took off school and every weekend, Julia flew out from Chicago to New York to be with me. So you've been through this already. Yeah. So it was kind of at a certain point. And then last year, we, we basically cohabitated. Cohabitated? You lived together. Yeah, right. Cohabitated? Habited? Cohabitationized? <laughs> Precisely. So there was a sort of groundwork that was already in place. And you're not saying that you've consummated this reality. Oh, stop. <laughs> Christina, stop. I just want to be clear. No, stop. I thought that they go were. On, okay. Isaac, no comment. On. No comment. There was a very big couch in the other room. <laughs> <laughs> so part of the reason that I know that she's the one is that we've had certain experiences that have given me lessons. At a certain point, you have to look at yourself in the mirror. She actually spoke to my mom before she died, and she asked my mom, may I marry your son? I'm going to cry. And my mom said, yes. My mom also pulled me in after Julia spoke to her and said, if you want to do it, you should. Oh, okay, this so, is getting so, more for so, uh, I'm sorry. I'm, this is beautiful. I'm, so, I'm sorry to give you all of that. No, but there's but just that's been, very... I'm 22. I come from like a secular New York City background. And there have been a number of circumstances that make perhaps my choice to do this at a very young age unique. What is great is that you're open to thinking that you found the one. You're committed to making it work. And by the way, for now, you've solved one of the biggest problems of your life, right? Like that's, that's the other precisely thing. what I think. I'm, we don't, I'm... we don't, like <laughs> people think that marriage is an after fact that you do once right. you've established all these other things without maybe understanding that sometimes if you're lucky enough to find the right person, it makes everything else easier because oh. you've solved this one big problem. Precisely. I mean, I look at my friends right now and they're spending tons of time, you know, with, Twitter and Bumble, 
guess it's another one of these apps. You meant, you, yeah. You don't mean Twitter. You mean Tinder. 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 Sorry. You're also on Twitter. Yeah. I'm, yeah Twitter. I was going to say my husband's on Twitter a sorry, lot. Sorry. <laughs> excuse me. Excuse me. No, no, no. Uh, I'm on Twitter. We know Anthony Weiner's. And, uh, <laughs> um, and they spend a ton of time fretting about this issue. And, yeah. and I, I feel so lucky that I don't have to think about it. I feel bad for them, to be honest. No, I think you're lucky. Did this All right. happen to you? Well, Isaac, this is amazing mansplaining. Love explaining. Yeah. Love spl- so Isaac is here. He's recording. So we know that when we need that viewpoint, we could just... We'll bring him in. Bring him in. And otherwise... And we'll keep you posted on Julia. I think we need to start talking weddings, Christina. Yeah. I know. Maybe you can give me some advice on how to plan. <laughs> we have a lot of that <laughs> we advice. We have so much advice. <laughs> but we want to know, if, as long as it's not a starter marriage, because I wouldn't want to put a lot of... No, I wouldn't want to go into something. Invest money in a... It's like a starter Fancy car. Wedding, yeah. You know how much starter these home. weddings cost? They're crazy. Okay, don't... You don't do, have to do you that. You don't have to do that. All right, that's another <laughs> episode. Weddings, bridezillas, groomzillas. Yeah, I went for, you know, it all started after Lady Di got married. I got married before that. And it was just homemade, and no, we invited all our friends. I don't know. You're, the, you're a hippie, Chris. I was a hippie. And go back to the hippie weddings. It goes back to the 80s. I think you're right. All right. That's it. We're done. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.